the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at Nissan.ie. Very welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cudahy with you until 7 o'clock and it is a pleasure to be joined for the Thursday interview this week uh, by an Irish author who has brought joy to millions of children and young adults, older readers alike over the last couple of decades. Owen Colfer, known to many of you as the author of the Artemis Files series. Owen, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks. It's, it's actually my first time in this particular studio which is right beside the sofa. Very oh, yeah, very easy, isn't it? Yeah, economy of effort. Yeah. And it's actually good timing you're in today. Earlier in the show, we were talking about um, an initiative, this kind of a, a mooted initiative to encourage people, students to engage in culture and the arts, a kind of a 200 euro voucher that they might spend. But I, I know kind of alongside that, you and, and some of your fellow authors and and others are involved in a campaign to try and and reinstitute funding yeah. at school, a primary school level, for libraries to encourage reading. Well, tell you, tell back in that. the uh, back in the bucolic days uh, when I was a teacher, and it was you know mostly Harlan on days off, uh, there was a fund, um, and I think it was uh, for every child in school. Uh, there was a donation given to a school library. Uh, and sometimes the importance of school libraries is un- underestimated because people don't really think uh, that they're that important because every town has a library anyway. Uh, but I think a school library, what it does, it it levels the playing field. Like if you don't live near the library, the town library, or your parents aren't, in- or guardians aren't inclined to bring you to the town library, um, then you will have access to the school library. Uh, so yeah, we would love to see that uh, coming back in, in the budget because reading, um, as innumerable studies have shown, uh, is vital for mental development, uh, for happiness, for creativity. Uh, people who read are less likely to end up in all sorts of dire straits. Um, and especially at that young age where you're developing your personality, it's just gonna help you throughout your life. So um, we will, I mean, ideally, we'd love to see as much money gone into reading and sports, but uh, I don't know if that's going to happen uh, anytime soon on, until they start the show Ireland's Readiest Family, which I'm not sure uh, they will. <laughs> but uh, no, so I think it, it's vital. I mean, there's probably uh, experts from CBI who could speak on it more eloquently than myself. I, I just happen to think uh, it's really important for kids to read and even books that I didn't write. That's how selfless I am. <laughs> Were you a, were you a voracious reader when you were younger? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I mean, I I was the kind of kid who couldn't go anywhere without a book. That I would feel like a, a limb was missing, probably not a real limb, as I've never had a limb missing. But um, I would feel very, something was wrong if I didn't have a book in my pockets or in my bag. And I, and I still feel a little bit like that. I mean, I would come on a short trip like this from Monkstown to the city centre with no book. But other any farther than that, I would have to have a book. And I do have like six on my phone just in case. But uh, yeah, I was the kind of child who would have books in most rooms of the house. And uh, just in case I my imagination said there would be an earthquake or you're going to be stuck in here for three months, you better have left a book in here. I mean, I probably should have put hydration in, but I was mostly <laughs> concentrated, you know, on the Famous Five. Is that a book you associate with your kids, with, with, with your childhood? Sorry, the Famous Five. Everything. I just read everything. It, it wasn't as easy back then. This, you're talking about 1975, you know, when I was 10. So you, it wasn't as easy just to pick up your phone or your iPad and get the book you wanted. So you just read uh, whatever book you could get. And it was like, it was music was like that too. You'd listen to whatever records you could get your hands on. So, but with books, 
I just read everything in our library that was uh, for kids. And then it was the secondhand bookstore. And I was reading, I mean, most of us were reading a book a day. Or, and often it was two books a day. Two books a day? Well, you know, if, if you remember the famous five books of the Secret Seven or, or the three investigators, they're quite slim. Yeah. So that's how they're designed, just to keep you going. And there'd be 30, 40 books in a series. So, yeah, we would read them. And, and when you weren't sporty, I mean, a lot of us were not sporty and we weren't kind of those top-tier athletes. And you you wanted a way that you could belong to a club. Books was a great way. And uh, so I, me and my mates, we all were into the massive fantasy books like, you know, Lord of the Rings or or all, all those ones. And uh, so we you could meet and if there was a series of eight books, you would all buy one book and then you, it would be your job to get book four and you would get that whatever you had to do. And then you it, we would all swap them around and talk about them. So it was really a very positive way to belong to a group and like a fraternity and that, mm. and I still have those friends um, and we're all on the, we're on WhatsApp now but you know back in the day we would be reading books and meeting up to talk about them and is it still a book club you and your friends now on WhatsApp it's everything it's books uh, music we're, we tried to get because we're all over the world uh, so we tried to get together once or twice a year but there's a few of us who still live in Ireland and we still get together all the time so it's it's mostly talking about the kids' love now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is the nature of things. I mean, given the the interest you say in fantasy, was it inevitable then that that's what you would end up writing about? I think I, at an early age, I really um, started to steer my course towards uh, impossible worlds, and I th- I think what sealed the deal was the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because that's when I realised that it didn't have to be so po-faced. You know, sometimes fantasy and science fiction. Is very very serious, and and if you want to any evidence of that, I think just look at Game of Thrones. It's all very it's like there's no messing about. And I did a conference a couple of years ago, a big conference, uh, and it was kind of a fan. And I made a few Star Wars jokes, and it just it wasn't happening. Like I was, everyone was laughing their heads off. I made a Star Wars joke, and it was like just an ice block had descended. P- people don't like Star Wars jokes, so I realized. Oh, but then I read Douglas Adams, mm. and I realized. You can be funny about this kind of thing. And really, that's where I want to go. So uh, I decided I would try and jump into this genre, but make it funnier while still having a good story. And that's what uh, Douglas did. If you're just tuning into The Hard Shoulder, Owen Colford, the author and playwright, is is with me for this week's uh, Thursday interview. We'll talk about the book then, yeah. actually, and, and, and the books and, and the writing, because I, I, I was in preparation for the interview yeah. and I was reading some previous things you said, and you, you made a comment that reminded me of another interview I heard recently. I'm not sure if you read The Last Day by Andrew Hunter Murray. It's a, it's one of these dystopian novels yeah, about no. where the, the, the world stops turning. And I was listening to him being interviewed and he said the whole novel, everything in it started with him just one day sitting on a train looking out the window and he said, I wonder what would happen if the world stopped turning? Yeah. What would happen? Yeah. And, and I was reminded of it in advance of our chat today when you were talking about being on a, a history tour in Wexford with your dad yeah, and he talked about Viking streets being underneath the street yeah. and you just asking a simple question or wondering in your head what would happen if they were still down yeah. there? Yeah, I, I rem- that's my dad used to do historical, he was a member of the historical society uh, and um, he would bring people around and just tell them because I, I don't know if you've ever been to Wexford but the, the, yeah. the main street is very narrow and it was even narrower back then and he just told us, you know, if you dig up these streets um, there's actually 
a pre-existing stream buried underneath that. And I just thought that was fascinating. Uh, in my mind, it wasn't um, a decaying, crushed street. It was just a living, breathing street. And I, that certainly, for me, uh, planted the seed of uh, the fairy world in Artemis Fowl, which is, of course, it's just, which is underneath the Earth's crust. So... It's just little things like that. Another thing my dad said to me, we were going to the Salty, Salty Islands, which is a bird sanctuary off the coast yeah. of Clamore, and he said, you know, there's a king of the Salty Islands. Uh, and this was, of course, it's 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 almost a civil service kind of title, but in my mind, <laughs> this guy is, is the ruler, and why would he let, be allowed to be king, and why isn't he being invaded by, you know, England and Ireland and France? You know, what's going on there? So... I ended up answering all my own questions and uh, came up with this book called Airman, where the Salty Islands are a principality. And so it, you never know. You just never know where it's going to come from. And I was talking to another author yesterday, Cressida Cowell, who did How to Train Your Dragons. And she said she arrives at her plots by asking herself questions. It's very much like that gentleman, what would happen if the earth started to stop spinning? She would say, so what would happen if dragons were real? And would they be all the same kind of dragon? Or would they be like dogs? So you'd have loads of different kinds of dragons. And, and she just keeps asking herself question, questions until she arrives at a plot. And, and I think that's pretty common with authors. And is that how you form the book in your mind, that you form the world and then populate it? Or do you create the character and the world begins to spin around them? It's it's can happen any way. There's no rules. And I think... Most writers will tell you that they don't know how it happens. For me personally, sometimes I a character arrives fully formed in my head. Obviously, my unconscious knew better for a few months and decided to pop it up as a possible winner. Uh, or sometimes it's a scenario. Um, or sometimes it's just a title. I did a book, Plugged, uh, which is 10 years old. Uh, and that was about uh, hair transplants. And it occurred to me that the word for hair transplant is the same as the noir crime word for being shot. So if you had, how could I have plugs oh, that, you know, <laughs> meant being shot and getting a hair transplant. And so that's that's what happened. A guy has two sessions of a hair transplant and after the first session, a surgeon goes missing and he has to find him or else he's going to look... In this book, I said it was all one side of his head. I don't think that's how they do it. But... Um, <laughs> So I got a whole book out of that, just one thing. I, maybe some people say I shouldn't have, <laughs> but uh, you, you just don't know what's what's go where it's going to come from. So sometimes it's people, sometimes it's settings. Uh, with the Artemis Files series now, and that was eight books, and then I've done doing a new well a new trilogy which I'm just finishing off. So eleven books and four graphic novels, uh, so fifteen books at least, and that all came to me one day when I thought. Well, you know, if you spell leprechaun differently, if you spell it L-E-P recon, it sounds like a police force. Uh, and that's where it came from. Uh, so I Googled that L-E-P recon. No one had it. I said, okay, we're off. So L-E-P is lower elements police and recon is reconnaissance. There you go. And that's how it started. That's how it started. Just toying around with the spelling of yeah, leprechaun. I love wordplay. So, but I, once I had that idea, there's a fairy police force in my dad's Viking street and it all started to come together from there. And how how fraught is that process from that great idea to writing the novel to actually getting it published in the right yeah. places? Well, that's, you see, that's so important. Uh, the Artemis Fowl books did very well. 
But you just have to have everything line up. You have to get the right product, which is the book, with the right author who's prepared to go out and sell the book and edit it. You have to get the right editor, the right publisher. You have to hit the zeitgeist, which is impossible to predict. And all of that has to line up. You have to go to the right launch with the right people, get the right... Um, like the amazing things happen now. When I did Hitchhiker again, I went. I remember going out on stage, and there was a real frosty air because uh, Hitchhiker is kind of sacred ground. Mm. And, you know, should you be messing with Hitchhiker? And I, it's one of those things I still don't know if I should have done or not. I mean, it it went well, and I think the book is pretty good. But you know, it's for a musician who would be like, you know, do you want to do the next Bowie album and call it David Bowie's new album? I don't know. But anyway. So I was very nervous, and afterwards in the signing line, um, the atmosphere was, was... They were going to buy the book because they wanted the complete collection, but they weren't happy about it, a lot of people. Uh, now, no one had read the book because it was literally arrived in boxes mm. that day. And my son was there, so it was 2009, and so he would have been, I, I don't know, he's, he's 18 now, so six or whatever, and he was bored, uh, as you would be. And this was in the uh, South Bank... Uh, theater in London, so it was like fifteen hundred people, and so Sean sat down and he's like, "Oh, I'm so bored." I said, "Sean, I'm working," and the producer, who's very funny, or who's very clever, said, "No, let Sean sit there with you." And and I said, well, "Well, okay." And Sean said, "Can I sign?" I said, "No, Sean." And the producer said, "No, let him sign," and they gave Sean a crayon, and he just started Xing, and everyone wanted him, and the mood just switched. How yes. can you be angry at a guy with a six year old son? signing your book with a crayon there's, there's a good producer I know he was brilliant <laughs> and it just changed the whole vibe and uh, and it, that just came to, seemed to filter out and, and when you look at that it's nothing to do with the book or me mm. you just have that stroke of luck uh, that my son happened to sit down there and the producer happened to be savvy uh, and it, it, everything changed from that and it's you need that and there's so many writers I know who are brilliant and who haven't had that just that one little thing is missing and then others I know who have had that, but I, I was lucky that I I, I had I happened to have a wonderful agent, a wonderful editor, and that stroke of luck. And and the, the final thing was Harry Potter was out. And Harry Potter was there was a lot of this is the next Harry Potter's. Mm. Who's going to be the next Who's going to be the next Harry Potter? But the problem with that is you get one shot at that. So to be the next Harry Potter you have to sell a hundred million books. Yes. Uh, but when my book came out Someone said, this is the anti-Harry Potter. And then you don't have to sell 100 million books and you can be the anti-Harry Potter for a few books. And that's what happened. I, I became the anti-Harry Potter and then after two books it took off and I was myself. But I, I was lucky to get that little extra year of kind of press yes. that all the next Harry Potters, if you know what I mean, didn't get. So, I, I, yeah, I've, I, I've been very lucky. The Hitchhiker's Guide, do you regret doing it? Part of me does, yeah. yeah, definitely. It's one of those things in your life, where I think. People, younger people maybe think that when you get to my age, you're going to be sh sure about all your decisions. Mm. That was wrong and that was right. But the truth is, you're uncertain about most things. And I'm very, that's one of the things that I don't even know which way I lean I met wonderful people. I had a wonderful time. I got to meet Douglas's family uh, and work with new publishers all over the world. And it's, it, it, 
it did what it was supposed to do in that it was the bestseller that brought all, brought all Douglas's books back in the charts again um, for another run. So in that way, it did. But I think if someone messed with one of my heroes, which Douglas was, um, I, I probably wouldn't be that happy. About it. It's like when Queen got a new singer, I was like, I don't know about this. And uh, But I'm sure if I met him, it would be fantastic. But um but I can't. I am ambivalent about it. I don't. I'm not saying it's a mistake, but I. I would. I. I am saying I wouldn't do it again. Given that that idea of messing with your heroes, how difficult was it to give up control of Artemis yeah. for a movie? Well, I had done that twenty years ago because that that book Disney bought the movie rights before the book came out. They read the manuscript, and so I was asked the question then. Do you want to, you know, be able to be a full-time writer and put your kids through college and, you know, buy your house? Yeah, it's a rhetorical question. Yeah, so, you know, in 19, you know, in the turn of the Millennium Ireland, you're not going to say no to that. And and I didn't, but I had to make peace with it then, right? So whatever happens, it happens. Um, so, no, it, it wasn't a problem for me. I mean, I what that meant to me was I was able to say to my principal, listen, Pat, I'm going to take a couple of years out and uh, see if I can make this work, which I never would have, never would have been able to do otherwise. Um, so if it hadn't been for that, I think I never would have been able to put enough time into writing to be a professional writer. So yeah, I'm really grateful that happened. And given it was 20 years ago, then when you, you signed away the rights, I mean, was it completely off the radar by the time the movie came out, or were, were you yeah. kind of, uh, you know, counting down the days? You know, here's no. the release date. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to watching it. I, no, yeah, I was looking forward to watching it, but it wasn't consuming me. I mean, it, it was, was somebody else's baby. Yeah, it was. It was a nice. Degree. We went over to the set a few times. We, we met everybody, and you know, we hung around with a few people, and um, that was lovely. And it was nice to go to this set that was like a town and say to my boys right, okay this is what the inside of my head looks like appropriate approximately <laughs> and that they you know it was nice for them to be like it was so big that they had no choice but to be impressed yeah. like there was no way around it. you just had to say okay this is okay this is pretty cool and uh so it was not i mean all dads want to impress their kids so that was that was a lovely moment but once, you know, and I met the two young people who played Artemis and Holly, uh, Ferdy and Lara, and they were fantastic. And I really think, and Lara's in Belfast now, and I really think they're going to both have uh, huge careers. So I, I wish them all the best. And I, it became more than a kind of a movie to me. It became an experience because I'd met the people who designed it. Mm. I got friendly with the designer and the costume designer, and they were all fabulous people. And uh, so when I see that movie, I kind of see, oh, that's the background that this guy did on his yeah. computer. So it's, it it becomes hard to judge it. But do you uh, find it hard then when when other people judge it negatively? I yeah, I what I did was when when it came out and like the re- reviews were mixed to say the least, and I decided, right, okay, I'm not getting involved in this. So I just went dark. Yeah. For about a month, and and I really could have gone dark for about four days. That's really all it took. But I went, I didn't do any Instagram or whatever for about a month. And when I came back then, it was fine. But what I did find, which was lovely for me, is that I was elevated from popular to beloved. (laughs) (laughs) So because, you know, beloved author's book. So I was like, oh, I'm beloved now. So that's great. That's good for the the Twitter, (laughs) the Instagram handle. Um, 
listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. I wish we had more time. Um, Thanks, uh, beyond campaigning for the the the, the reinstitution of uh, of this library fund, what's on the agenda these days? Um, I have a book coming out. Uh, um, in, on the nineteenth of October, which is also my thirtieth wedding anniversary, so and no excuse Jack, to forget uh, that. Myself and Jackie are going to do um something special. Uh, so uh, I was supposed to be touring in New York, but that's that's all changed. So um, we will probably do something local. So it's the last book in the Foul Twins. It's called the Foul Twins uh, Get What They Deserve, which we all do in the end. Um, so. I'm retiring the family then. <laughs> well, listen, we'll, we'll we'll retire this interview. Owen, it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> thanks, Kieran. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks a million for coming in. Owen Colfer, author and playwright. And look, that is our lot for today's edition of The Hard Shoulder. Off the ball, as always, they're up next and I'll be back tomorrow from four. Have a good one. 